We are ready for you to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 6. If you are ready for that, it's been a few weeks since we've been together in the book of Revelation. So let me take a moment and just remind you why we are here. Other than it's the Bible, and I, we, we don't need a lot more reason than it's the Bible. But here's... Uh, and oh, the second reason that we are uh, continuing in Revelation is because of the the not so mild protest that I received because I thought we could pause. There was a a, a, re- a rebellion. There was a revolt. Yeah, there were tomatoes thrown, <laughs> at least uh, digitally. We're in the book of Revelation primarily because of what John says at the very beginning in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. John the Revelator writes this to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things that are written in it. When we read it, when we hear it, when we heed it, there is a promise of blessing. Is that good enough reason? We are blessed, and you need to bring your faith with you and think, hey, if that's what the, the Lord says about it, then I'm going to get my, my expectometer turned on and turned up, and I'm going to be ready to be blessed. We've been blessed as a house. We've seen blessing. There's blessing on all the word. There's blessing on all the word. There's blessing on all the word, but there's blessing on this word, and we're here for this blessing. The second part is this. John says, blessed are those, and then... The, it's the, it's that, uh, the, the last clause of verse 3. For the time is near. Would you all say that out loud with me? For the time is near. We need to live like the time is near. Revel, the book of Revelation reminds us that we, the church of Jesus Christ, must live with a view of eternity. When we live with the view of eternity, we are never as faithful and as fervent and as fruitful as when we do. Jesus, and when there's a, there's a passage that John writes, when John is explaining, uh, telling the life of Jesus, and, and when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he's washing their feet, there's a passage that says that he, he changes his clothes, he, puts on a, a, he, he does something radical in that moment, unheard of as a rabbi, that he would change put on a robe, and wash the feet of his followers. That's a radical thing to do. Just for the fun of it, and if maybe you're a child of the 80s, somebody say radical. You can say totally in front of it if you're so moved. Okay, That's a, that's a radical thing to do. But here's the thing. Jesus, John tells us that Jesus did that because he, he says he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He, had a, he knew that he was not just on some random incidental journey. He wasn't bored. He, had, he came from somewhere, but specifically, he knew where he was going. And when we as the church of Jesus Christ remember that we are not simply, we aren't on a hike. We aren't just wandering. We are headed somewhere. This is a race, not a hike. I'm not picking on hiking. I don't do it often. But, you know, the thing about hiking is you just go somewhere and then you're done and then you turn around and come back. And then you take pictures, but there's no food. There's nothing. But we're in a race. We started and there's steps 
and strides, and there will come a time when that race is over. There, there, there is a finish line, and when we, when we are running like... Here's, the, oh, there, here's another one other thing. Here's the dealio. You may not know this, but occasionally in my life, I have lifted a weight. Yeah, yeah, there's been times, that I, and I used to just kind of just go into my parents' garage and turn on Michael W. Smith. Occasionally, it was Rocket Man. <laughs> right? My son has moved, but okay. Uh, but and I would just turn on the thing, and I would just lift the weights and just enjoy the lifting of the weights. And sometimes I got stronger. Most of the times I just got thicker. But everything changed when I went to this other thing the downtown and with Adam Neifer and the CrossFit. They set a timer. Yeah, and you got to start, and then you got to hurry because, the, and then the stop, and the thing stops, and the whole thing is you're moving to finish something before the time is up, and that changes the whole approach. I breathe heavier. It changes our whole approach when we realize that we, there is a timer. You live. As Christians, we will live more radically when we recognize that there is an end coming. This is why we must have a view of eternity. We must live with this in mind. So we're in this text, and I pray that this is the impact that it has upon us. When we started the text, when the first three chapters, we heard John had a, had a vision, and he had a message to the seven churches in Asia. In chapter 4, John takes us to the throne room of heaven where he, he, he leads us in, a, in essentially a worship service. We behold that in heaven God is the, the, the object of unceasing and, and irrepressible, unchangeable adoration. Regardless of all of the creatures and the lights and the sounds, that it's God alone who is the object of worship when we were caught up with that. And then in, in chapter 5, everything changes. Because the, the one on the throne has this scroll in his right hand. This scroll, and we remember as we're reading or we're understanding uh, the book of Revelation, we are, we are trying to do it through John's frame of reference. So we are approaching it, understanding things through the, an Old Testament. John is a Bible boy. Everybody say Bible boy. That means he is, he is, what he sees and interprets, he is interpreting through, his, through the lens of Scripture. He's going to use scriptural references and images and stories to understand what he is seeing. That's really important because if you're like me, <laughs> we, heard, we grew up hearing a few things in the book of Revelation. And we heard enough sometimes to make us go, yep, I don't need to read that. Like, uh, uh, we, I, you know, I heard if John, for instance, we, I used to think, oh, if John saw, John probably saw, you know, if he saw a horse, if he said he saw a horse, it was probably an intercontinental ballistic missile or something. Here's the, yeah, you did hear it. You heard it. Oh, it was probably a, a rocket. It was a nuclear missile. And that's especially in the 80s, right? And if it's, there's Russians, the Russians are coming. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If John saw a horse, he saw a horse. And if, he, and if he would have saw something else, he would have described it. 
So we're walking through this passage and we're trying to hear it through the lens of the Old Testament. And so John sees a scroll and we know that in the, from, the, from the Old Testament scriptures, this scroll has a meaning. It's not just a piece of paper. It means a covenant or a contract. It's an act of providence, a plan of God that has come due. And it's about, it's about time, except for this scroll is sealed with seven seals. It's perfectly, with the word seven, it's perfectly sealed. No one can open it. And it's held in the right hand of the one on the throne. And the voice of a strong angel goes out and says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And no one can answer. And there's despair. And John himself begins to weep uncontrollably until the angel next to him says, weep no more, for the Lion of Judah has overcome. Weep no more. The Lion of Judah has overcome. And then he looked and he said, I saw a lamb that was like, like one that was slain. So this lion is the lamb that was slain. And then he sees the lamb walk over, snatch that scroll out of the right hand of the one on the throne. And when he does, everything changes in heaven and everything changes on earth. Every, all, the, the songs change. Everyone says, wow, there's the lamb. And before they were only singing about the one on the throne, now they're singing to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb, be blessing and and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We understand that this lamb, in a, in a, in a mysterious way, this lamb is God himself. It's the one who sits on the throne and the lamb are one. And that's where we left them. That's where we, yep. Yep, that's what we heard. The door was open in heaven. That's good. I mean, I was going to read, but you know. As we are beginning in Acts, in Acts, in in Revelation chapter six, I need to say this with kind of a big smile, and just have and invite you to smile with me if you're ready. What we're about to read is not up for a vote. Some of what we're about to read, you might say, well, golly, I don't know that I appreciate that. I don't know if I like that. Our response might be, well, golly, you are not God. This is not a a petition. This is not something waiting for you to sign it for it to be real. This is a scroll that's been decreed. It's been so decreed, and there is only one, and the worthy one has already grabbed it and started opening it. You've got, yeah, yeah, so you've got some wiggle worm, you have some freedom of will, you choose what pair of britches you're going to put on this morning, but some things are decided, and these are they. And remember, we are... We are trying to walk through this in real time with John. There are those who interpret the book of Revelation and they'll, they'll say, oh, in chapter 6, what he, that's the same thing as he meant in chapter you know, 26. Not 26. But, uh, and that's okay, that's fine, but I, I feel like our goal should try to be to, to interpret or, or interpret along in real time with John. In other words, John wasn't in chapter 18 yet. He hadn't seen that yet, so we, he wouldn't have had necessarily the capacity for interpretation. So let's just try to Listen as we go. And we may find that we see a little bit less of Russia and China in the text. All right. There you are, Dad. You missed it. I was waiting for you. The title this morning is not, I don't know if it was put anywhere, but it'll be on on the broadcast here in a minute. 
The title this morning is not necessarily one of those therapeutic titles that get everybody to come to church and feel better, but I promise it's good news. The title this morning is this, The Wrath of the Lamb. The first seal is conquest. Chapter 6 and verse 1, John says, Then I saw the Lamb, I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals. I know I've made it clear. Let's make sure we hear it. Who's breaking off these seals? The Lamb. The, the worthy one. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So a seal is broken, and then one of the four living creatures, remember the four living creatures, we all the way back to uh, uh, chapter, chapter 4, we, re- we saw that these four living creatures were iconical. They were representative of creation itself. They were real, and yet they seemed to represent the, 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 the most robust elements of creation. They, they represent the faces and the voice of creation itself, four living creatures. And when the first, of the first seal is broken, the first of four living creatures says, come. That's important because we're going to pause after the fourth seal. And when he does, a rider is summoned. This is a rider on a white horse, and he is given a bow, and then he is given a crown, all at the direction of the lamb. And this rider is sent out, and John says, he went out conquering and to conquer. Okay, what in the world? In uh, here, this, this rider, let me just get this out so that we all understand. This rider is not Jesus, and this rider is not the Antichrist. I don't want to disappoint anybody. Get your, all your, get your conspiracy theories cooked up here. This is neither of those, <laughs> okay? But first of all, the fact that he's on a white horse and given a bow is very intentional because in the, in the, the Romans feared nearly no one except for the Parthians. The Parthians were known for riding white horses, and they were exceptionally skilled with the bow, whereas the Romans were not. Therefore, they rep- the Parthians were, were actually the only real army that, that, that Rome never really could take. But they're not re- referencing the Parthians, but rather the message is this, is, this rider is an enemy. This rider is, is, is someone who is, is coming to conquest, is coming to conquer. This is an unconquerable foe. This is, this is, some, this is, a, this is someone who is greater than even the, 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 the domain of Rome, the Roman Empire. And this rider comes, and he comes to, he is given a, 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 a crown, which is a, a, a crown, not, not, a, not a royal crown, but, but one like a victor. He's, he's, he's a, it's a crown of the conqueror. And, he, and it says he goes out, and he's given a bow, which means he's, this is, again, this is a, a different kind of weapon. And he goes out to conquer and to conquer. So he is instigating, he is perpetuating aggression. This, friends, let me just tell you now, and we'll explain it more in a moment. This is not any nation. This is a spirit of conquest and aggression that is loosed at the first seal. 
This is a spirit of conquest and aggression to stir up the whole earth. But wait, there's more. Then the second seal is violence. Chapter 3, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature, see the pattern, saying, come. And another, a red horse, not China, a red horse went out and, and him who sat on it, and it was granted it was grant, and was granted to take peace from the earth. Ooh, listen now. So everybody say, take peace from the earth. Is he, is, he, is, he, is he attacking anyone? No, no, no. That's all. Aggression has gone forth, and now the second one, this red horse, is given a, a, a great sword, which is an act of judgment. It's a symbol of judgment, and, but the action is that he is taking peace from the earth. Wow. But that's, and there's one more here. Uh, and that men would slay one another. He is granted to take peace so that men would butcher, would kill one another brutally. This is a spirit of violence. The first is a spirit of aggression. It represents political uh, aggression and oppression and, 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 and warfare between, from one nation to another. And then you see the next seal is broken, and then there is internal violence. This isn't, this, isn't, this isn't me. This isn't man just killing someone. This is like civil war. This is brother to brother. This is man committing violence against another man. And, it, and if you think, I wonder what that's like. All you need to do is turn on CNN, MSN. NBC, Fox News, watch the news today and you'll see this is happening. This is man being violent toward man. Then the, then the third seal, which is lack, and he broke the third seal and I heard the, the, the third living creature, oh, there's, there we go, three and three, the third living creature, these are the voices of creation talking about spirits that are affecting creation. So the third voice says, come, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard something like a voice at the center of the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, you and I read that and say, huh, what, who, and then you just, I know you did, you just kept reading. (laughs) Where's the dragon, where's the dragon, where's the whore, right? But this third, now the third living creature, open, and with, at, at, the, at the opening of the third seal, he calls for, he calls for a black horse and a, and a rider who's carrying scales, like weights in measurement. And what he, and he is, he is annou- the announcement in, for, in translation is this. He announces that a whole day's wages will be required to feed one person. A whole day's wages will feed one person. So if you work a whole day, you couldn't even feed your whole family. He is announcing lack, scarcity, not total famine, not total starvation, but lack. Can you, can you feel the progression? It, it, this should make sense. Aggression, warfare, violence, lack. This is, this is, this, these are all logical progressions. But then he says, don't touch the oil and the wine. There's two, two possible interpretations for that. And the truth is, I like them both. 
So I'm just going to give us permission to say door A and B, please. Okay? We'll see this even more, but in each of these, 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 these spirits, the spirit of violence, a spirit of, of conquest and violence and lack, all of them have gone out, but they have, they have, they have gone out under restraint. Would you all stay under restraint? There's a restraint here. And you have to see that in all, all of these things, there's a restraint. They are, not, they are not licensed to bring utter destruction, but there's problems, but it's under restraint. And we'll see this in just a minute, some more of it, so just stay tuned. So here we have again, go out, and then there's, in other words, it's not destroy all the wheat and all the barley. That would be total famine, total starvation. No, there's lack. He says, but don't touch the oil and the wine. There's two, the, the, one interpretation is it's the oil and the wine, both, of, both the olive tree and the, and the vine, uh, vine, both have very deep roots and take, and take a much longer time to produce than a wheat or barley. So one, some translators say that this is, this is mercy at work. There's a, there's a restraint. Don't touch the things that, are, that would take much longer, that, have, that, have, that, would be, that would be too much. The other thing is this, and I think... This one smells a little more on the nose. Whenever, if you follow the, the, the trail of, of uh, war and violence and lack, the way humanity works is that oftentimes when you have, in, in a time of lack, those who have tend to keep having, and those who have not are in real trouble. And, what, and it looks like the writer is saying that it's not an intent, it's a description. That this, 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 this writer who is, who is bringing in, who is, who is signaling lack as a result of all these things that are happening, is saying that the wheat and the barley, it's going to be tough. But for those who, ha- but, but there's, not only will there be a problem, but there will be increased disparity upon the earth. So now, now see if this begins to make more sense or this feels, this doesn't feel so weird. As the seals are broken open, we're seeing, we're seeing these four living creatures call for spirits that are working upon the earth, and they are instigating or overseeing war, violence, lack, and now the fourth seal is death. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the, four, the fourth living creature saying, come, and I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he who sat on it had the name death, and Hades was following, or Hades was following with him. So death and hell's coming with him. If you've seen Tombstone, that's what he says. You tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me. He's quoting the Bible right there. You hear me? Hills coming with me. It's a great movie. Ooh, bad guys are going to get it. Anyway. And they'll have four horses anyway. All right. An ashen horse. Hades was following him. An authority was given to them over all the earth to kill everyone. No. Restraint. Someone say it again. Restraint. restraint. To kill to over a fourth of the earth. To kill with a sword and with famine and pestilence and by the wild beasts. All right. So here's the deal. Now we have an ashen horse or a, or a horse that is pale green in color, a horse that looks like death. 
and the name of the writer is death. He is followed by hell. This is talking about physical and spiritual death. And authority is given to this writer to kill a fourth of the earth. Not total annihilation, but a great death. And he does so with sword, famine, pestilence, wild beasts of the earth. So this fourth seal being broken open is really a culmination of all of them. These are four seals that are, that are there's a logical progression to them, but they're all working together. But the question is, what is happening here? So now that we know we have four, we've got four living creatures and four seals, we, we can take a quick time out and back up and ask, hey, what, what's going on here? John is seeing images of different colored horses. And remember that whenever possible, we look back to the Old Testament for a frame of reference, for this is what John would have known. He would have spoken from the Scripture to understand. And in the book of Zechariah, chapters 1 and 6, John would have known this. He may very well have it memorized that Zechariah, the prophet, sees visions of heaven. He is taken into a similar situation, and he too is taken into heaven way many, many, many eons before John writes. But John would have known this. And, and Zechariah, golly, look at this. He sees these same colored horses. And he is told that these horses are for spirits of heaven that patrol the earth. They are, they are, just, just hear it again. What are these horses? Is that Russia? Which one's China? I know they're coming. No. Four spirits of heaven that are patrolling the earth. And if you want a more specific explanation, I don't have one. I don't know. I just know what it says. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Listen to what Zechariah says. I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees, at which were in the ravine, with a red, uh, 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 with red sorrel and white horses behind him. Oh, oh, four horses. And then I said, my Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking to me said, I will show you what these are, verse 10. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming forth from between two mountains. The mountains were bronze. And the first, with the first chariot were red horses. The second chariot were black horses. Third chariot, white horses. Fourth chariot, strong dappled horses. Dappled, let's go back to that whole death-colored thing, ashen. Verse 4, then I spoke to the angel who was speaking to me, and I said, what are these, my Lord? That's our question, right? What are these? The angel replied to me, these are, <laughs> these are Eastern Europe and Greenland. No, stop it. These are four spirits of heaven going, at, go, going forth and standing before the Lord of all the earth with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country, and the white ones are going forth after them, and the dappled ones go to the south. Listen to verse 7. When the strong ones went out, they were eager to go and patrol the earth. Everyone say, patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. There it is again. So they went, so they patrolled the earth. And then he cried out to me and spoke, saying, See, those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. These are four spirits under assignment from heaven. They patrol the earth, and they do stuff. 
And what they do is related to judgment. This is how John would have understood it. This is how his audience would have understood it. That these horses and riders are messengers of judgment upon mankind's arrogance and rebellion. They would have understood the characteristics and assignments of these riders as judgment upon the ungodly and the rebellious. Listen to this. Again, Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 21. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beasts, and plague to cut off man of east from it. These judgments, hear this really, really well, friends. These judgments, particularly that we read in these four seals, are meant to confront mankind and bring them to repentance. It is important to recognize that these things are loosed after the lamb is slain. The lamb is slain. The lamb is victorious. The lion of Judah has conquered. The lamb has been slain. And then he takes the scrolls and he starts opening these seals. You say, hey, wait a minute. I thought, every, I thought the grace of God was released at the cross. Absolutely. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is loosed without restraint after the cross. There's no stopping him. He's so good. His grace and his mercy is so powerful. It overcomes every obstacle. It invades every nation. It invades every place where sin abounds. Grace much more abounds. The grace of God is powerful and without limit. It is loosed upon the earth without measure. And at the same time, you have to hear this, at the same time, there's always a dual thing happening in the scriptures. This is the, this, the same passage that says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to, to announce the year of the Lord's favor. The never, very next breath is, and the vengeance of our God. Okay? Two things happening. The grace of God is loosed without restraint at the same time that judgment is loosed with restraint. You say, no, what do you mean by judgment? The judgment that is loosed is, is, is this, man's own sin has been turned against him. And, and with, with, with the, the beacon, the bright beacon of hope in Jesus Christ is here. As the bright and shining only alternative to man's own sin. Man's sin is aggression and violence and greed, which will lead to death. And, it, and those things have been here and are increasing upon the earth. And this is, this is the, what's happening in these first four seals. That the grace of God is loosed. And in his mercy, man is able to encounter the consequence of his own sin. Not eternally yet, but just in the natural. Man is beating his head against the grotesqueness and the violence and the pain and the hopelessness of his own sin. So that he will turn. Man's sin is loosed upon himself to prompt him to abandon that sin. This is why the apostolic preaching in the book of Acts urges men time and again to repent so that they will escape the judgment that is to come. 
when we put come home on a banner, when we pray it, when we sing it, we're not just saying, hey, soup's on. We'll, keep, we'll turn the light on for you. We're not just doing that. We are. You're welcome here. You're safe here. But it's also a desperate plea to escape the judgment that is and that is yet to come. Come home. These, are, these seals are not specific stages. They are not historical ages. They are the consequences of man's sin working in judgment against him. They are not allowed without restraint. They are being held back. And you've got to hear that because we're going to, that, that's going to come up later. Right now, it's held back. And that's the mercy of God. But there's more. All of that's happening. These four, these four living creatures and these, these four seals are broken. And John sees that as a consequence, this, this, this thing, things that are happening upon the earth. In the meantime, say that with me, please, in the meantime. In the meantime, the fifth seal now broken. The fifth seal is the blood and the prayer of the persecuted church. These are, this is concurrent, and yet we're seeing it from a different place now. Verse 9, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw... Underneath, this is, you got to listen. I'll try to, this sounds spooky at first, but it's all good. It's all Bible. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. Time out. i got to say it right now. Do not. Oh, when when we die, God stuffs us underneath the altar in heaven. No. No. No, this is not some third metaphysical state of being. Okay, no, 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 no. Listen. I saw underneath the altar the souls who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony which they had maintained. What he is saying is this. He is referring again to, he's drawing an inference back to the Old Testament when the priest would make a sacrifice. This is a little bit rich, but here we go. Okay, He would make a sacrifice and the blood of that sacrifice would pool beneath the altar. Scripture says that life is in the blood. This, what he's saying here is a metaphor that the lives of those who have given their lives, have had to surrender their lives or had their lives taken from them because of the persecution of of the church, that those lives are not lost. They have been gathered at the altar of heaven. And furthermore, that their voices are heard, their lives are rewarded and that their sacrifice is not in vain. But stay tuned. Listen to what else he says. And they cried out with a loud voice. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You got to hear this. Those who dwell on the earth is a euphemism that always, always refers to mankind in his rebellion against God. It's, it's a very specific demographic. Those who dwell on the earth are the rebellious, the angry, the anti-God, the anti-Christ. Okay? And those who have, and these voices are saying, the fifth seal, they're saying, how long are you going to refrain from judgment? What do you call the first four? Man's sin working against him. That is corrective, instructive judgment. But it's not all there is. 
Because while all of that's happening, that all of that's happening to try to turn men away from their sin and turn them toward Christ, man is still persecuting the church, still going after believers. They're still losing their lives. It's, it's not easy for us to directly connect to that because almost the worst thing that can happen to us is be unfriended on Facebook. Oh, no. I don't know that there's any place in heaven for that, friend. I don't, you're not going to get any, any points for that. Big M-E-H. But, uh, but that is, in fact, that, that doesn't change the fact that we, we kind of live, thankfully, on a blip, on a historical blip on the radar. The centuries and centuries and centuries of the church, the peace that you and I live in today, we should be grateful for, but we live on a blip. A blip. It, hopefully it'll last, but it could pass. The total freedom and peace that we have right now is a blip on the historical radar. The story of the church has been, has been persecution and lives lost. And they're still happening all over the world. And it was happening to John's audience, and they needed to hear this. They needed to hear this. What? That, how long, O oh Lord, how long? How long are we going to endure this? That, that, the, we're, 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 that when will you act? And then the response is, and there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer. Their lives will be, they are, their voices are heard, their lives are rewarded. They are rewarded with pure robes, they are, they are dignified, they are clothed, but they are told to wait. Listen, they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and, and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I know that may sound like the Lord saying, nope, I need some more people dead before I do anything. No, no, no. It's this. Understand this. He's saying this. Every single life that is spilled is being weighed and it's being measured. And every, every drop of saint's blood spilled is pressure that is building as a testimony against the sin of mankind. The pressure, the Lord's saying, be patient. The pressure is building. The message is this, ultimately, this will come to an end. Be patient, he said, a little while longer. Not for, This will come. These, four, these first four seals and the fifth talking about what's happening. All of that will continue, but it will not continue forever. It will come to an end. You take a deep breath. You ready? Seal number six, wrath. Verse 12, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. You understand the, the, the imagery there? If I take a scroll and open it like this, and I hold it, and then I slice it down the middle, what happens? It goes like that, okay? So that's what he's, he's seeing the sky. Oh, this, is, this is incredible imagery. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. This is incredible imagery, but once again, John is seeing something, and it triggers an Old Testament thought. This, he says, I've heard this before. He draws upon imagery from Isaiah chapter 34. 
Listen to Isaiah 34. Draw near, O nations, to hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations, and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. This is, it gets worse. He has given them, he has given them over to slaughter. Remember the thing that took peace? So their slain will be thrown out. Their corpses will give off a stench. The mountains will be drenched with their blood. This is, this, this is all, sounds like the first four seals, right? Listen to, listen to verse 4. And all the host of heaven will wear away. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll. And all their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. In other words, when, when the sixth seal is broken, the message is this. This is it. Here it comes. This is the wrath. One through four, this, this continuing cycle of man's sin upon himself and with persecution upon the church, and it continues and it increases for a set time. But there will come a time when the sixth seal is broken and everything changes. There's a, there's a cosmic shift. And it won't be a secret. Verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, not even to God, they were talking to the rocks and to the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. The same one we sing about Easter time. Worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy. He was slain before the foundations of the earth. His blood was shed so that your, your sin and my sin could be pardoned and cleansed so that we could be in eternity with God. This is the, the matchless love of God that we could not describe. We couldn't measure. This is expressed. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You understand how important the Lamb of God is. But there's going to come a time when time will run out. With this seal, John beholds that there is a shift the language is intentionally metaphoric, and this is more than just man's sin loosed upon himself. This is God acting upon the earth. Now there is cosmic turmoil. It is felt by every class, every age, small and great, rich and poor, strong and weak, slave and free. And now men begin to hide themselves from this wrath to the point where they cry out for the rocks and mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the presence of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For when this seal is loosed, John says, the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That day is coming. John saw it. He wants his churches to know it, and he wants the readers of this book to know it. Not to frighten us, 
not to make us go, yeah, I hope somebody gets it, but to help us to keep an eye on eternity, that there is an end game here, and that if we will keep an eye on what is coming, then we can and should live today radical believers in Jesus Christ. We can do radical things. We can do things that don't make sense, that take great risk and great faith and great love and great sacrifice and great boldness, because we're not just on a hike. We're not just out doing nothing. We're headed somewhere, and there is a finish line. Evan Roberts said this, that if you are determined, the great Welsh revivalist Evan Roberts said that if you are determined to refuse Christ, then you should go to the rocks and practice shouting. Because all the rejectors of Christ will be shouting for the rocks to hide them. Come home is not just a sweet invitation. It is a desperate plea. The Lamb of God is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we may bend to Him now in mercy, or we will be bent before Him in wrath. And He pleads with us to choose. here this morning and you say, well, I'm, I've, I've, I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I've, I've asked him to be my savior. I have received and accepted what he has done for me. He's my savior. I love him. You know, I, I realize that I, I'm still maturing and all that, but boy, I know, I know that I'm saved. How would I, how should I respond to this passage? Well, Jesus tells us how we should. I'm closing, but I just want to give you, remind you that everything that John said Jesus told John these things would happen. In Mark chapter 13, first of all, Jesus told his followers that these things would happen. Please listen to verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. See if this sounds familiar. For nation will rise up against nation. Wars, rumors of wars. Nation against nation, violence, and kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, various places, and famines. Hey, we read that. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. In other words, these seals were broken, they're upon the earth, and they are increasing. But he told us that final judgment would follow. Same chapter 13, jump to verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, listen to this. Does this sound familiar? The sun will be darkened. Hey, we read that. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven. The powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and gather together his elect from the four winds and from the farthest end of the earth and the farthest end of heaven. He is coming. And then specifically, Jesus tells us how you and I should respond to our knowledge of this. Not with chest thumping (laughs) or fear, but this is how we should live. Jesus tells us, verse 33, take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. 
It is like a man away on a journey and leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge. That's us. Assigning each one to his task. That's what we have. And, and also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. He is coming. Whether in the, whether in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, verse 36, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. Verse 37, listen. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Judgment is real. It is coming. Therefore, you and I, we live like the time is near with the view of eternity. We live alert, ready and patient and persevering. We live faithful and fervent and ready to do something radical for Jesus today because we know that we are in a race and that there's a definite finish line. Let me ask you to stand together as we close today.